0: For Gene Shepard, humorist, after dinner speaker, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976. Here's Gene. <laughs> Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun! Hey, listen, uh, this is uh, the Yule tide and all, yeah, right. And um, people everywhere are uh, reading the stories of uh, Ebenezer Stooge and uh, his uh, his little office and all that stuff. And uh, and uh, every year, uh, I think uh, when I go into uh, various establishments, I can't help but be reminded of. Uh, some of the checkered moments in my past now I'm not hung on the past any more than anybody else is you walk around you got a past you know there it is can't help it if you were once a bus driver every time you get into a bus you will approach a bus with a different view than a person who has never been a bus driver do you agree? well do you agree or not? yeah I think so I, I, I really do. If you once played third base for the Yankees, you will watch a ball game with a different set of uh, attitudes than, say, a guy who never played anything more serious than uh, Snooker. Do you agree? Right, okay. Now we're agreeing. Now we're getting onto some basis here of uh, agreement. Well, <laughs> just about an hour and a half ago, I was in Macy's. Now, for those of you who were not uh, living in New York and not fortunate enough, enough to live here in uh, Trouble City. Hey, that's not a bad uh, word, <laughs> Trouble City. But uh, for those of you who uh, are not fortunate enough to live here in the city, you, you, uh, you probably have missed some of the great Christmas moments of all times. And that's, uh, that's when uh, Macy's is really swinging into full, full operation at Christmas. It's, a, it's an unbelievable thing. Yeah, you get on that Macy escalator, it's like you're on a direct pipeline to the ultimate consumer, the ultimate shopper's heaven. I mean, the frenzy of buying is in the eyes of every lady <laughs> on, a, on those great escalators going up and down. Do you agree, Andy? It's, fantastic. it's and, I, and every Christmas time, I, I just look forward to going into Gimbal's and the Macy's and Magnificent Alexander's just to see the look in the eye. Of the ladies with their shopping bags charging around, and I have a feeling that if you threw old ham bones on the table there and says ninety eight cent special, a great Christmas gift, thousands would crowd around and buy them. Just, <laughs> just, just there, you know. It's a frenzy. It, it, it is. It's a, uh, it's a, it's, it's just a phenomena. Well, the other day, see, I'm, I'm going up the escalator, and uh, I'm just there soaking up the atmosphere. I really dig it. And there's thousands of people going down. If They go down right next to you. See, you're going up, they're going down. Uh, have you ever had that that sneaking suspicion when you're waiting to get in to see a movie and you're in a line there and you see this crowd coming out? They've seen it. You haven't seen it yet, see. They're coming out. And you look at their faces for some sign. <laughs> you know? And when you see a whole bunch of people coming out and they got these bored looks on their faces <laughs> and you just bought a $4 ticket and you're waiting in lines, oh, no, no, another bomb. Oh, I believe Judith Crist again. When am I ever going to learn? Oh, my God. Well, uh, anyway, I'm riding on this, this, uh, this escalator, you see, the other day, and it's going up. and And this whole crowd is coming down. When all of a sudden the guy on the escalator going down looks up he looks over at me see i'm going up he's going down right he's leaving i'm going up see we're on i'm i'm taking the escalator that's going from the ground floor up to the second floor up there where the people are yelling and hollering and buying curtain rings and who knows what see so i'm, I'm on the elevator escalator and there's thousands behind me thousands ahead of me and i see this river, great river of people going down on the escalator right through next to me there and this guy looks over at me, and our eyes met for an instant. And he just looked at me, and I looked at him. See, I was all excited. I'm going up there, see. And, uh, you know, they have a great big sign pointing upstairs. Magic Christmas Wonderland, second floor, and all that jazz. And uh, I look over at him. He looks over at me. And all of a sudden, he says, don't go. It's not worth it. I said, what? Don't tell me I bought another bum ticket. People, on count, everything is selling like crazy. It's Christmas. You know, into anything. The tack counter had thousands of people buying tax, gift wrapped, and uh, so <laughs> everything. See, so I, I'm milling around in the crowd there, and I'm, I'm standing next to a counter trying to. Cause you know, you don't move fast in Macy's in Christmas time. No way. And and I look over, and there's a there is a kid who is working behind a counter, and for one brief instant, it all came back. It all came back. So anyway, I'll never forget that scene. And I will tell you about that, that, uh, that, <laughs> that, that you know, I've never told this story on the air, I'll guarantee you this, because, you know, I think when you live, uh, when you tell stories and so on, there are certain things that just don't seem to, uh, don't seem to occur to you. Uh, just, uh, like, uh, the other day, for example, I'm sitting with a buddy of mine, and, uh, I've known this guy for, you know, years. And uh, one day, uh, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, without any uh, preface or reason, he says, hey, uh, did I ever tell you about the time I was a motorcycle racer? I said, Stanley, I've known you for five years. You have never mentioned when you were a motorcycle racer. He says, oh, gee, I can't think I guess I never did tell you have you ever wondered why I limp why one foot is uh, seven and a half inches shorter than the other one I said well Stanley I don't ask a man about things like that he says yeah I used to be a motorcycle racer you know I raced in Italy, France, Japan, Australia the Antarctic I said but Stanley you never told me this he says yeah well I guess I never thought about it I said but Stanley why the hell do you tell me such trivial stuff like uh uh, the time you met this girl named Clara in uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin and you bought a double-dip ice cream cone at the Carvels and you will boring me with a story like that for four hours and you have never told me about the time that you raced as a motorcycle racer in Italy and half of your foot was cut off when a motorcycle blew up. Try, so I never thought it was important. Yes, that's quite right, friends. The truly important things in our lives we never think are important. That's why most stories that people tell you are indescribably boring because what most of us think is important is absolutely trivial what is important we never talk about like a friend of mine would you believe it or not i knew this guy who was a kind of a dignified uh, newsman type and out of the blue he just mentioned one day did i ever tell you about the time i got wounded at pearl harbor He was at Pearl Harbor and got shot by a Japanese Zero. He's one of the first guys to ever get hit by a Zero. He never thought it was important enough to talk about, but he talked endlessly about his new Chevy. I mean, you know, I'm sure that uh, there must have been guys hiding in the bushes the time that Richard the Lionhearted rode by. You know, with one of those crusades they had. Remember those crusades? Do you remember when you used to read about the crusades when you were a kid? Well, Richard the Lionhearted was involved in those things, you know? And there must have been some peasant squatting down in the weeds, and Richard the Lionhearted go by, you know, seen out in those days. Said, uh, anything important today? So I have to tell you about the time Richard the Lionhearted marcheth past. She said, you saw Richard the Lionhearted? Yeah, kind of a little guy end of story. <laughs> so, I, I, I've I never told you this story. It, uh, it, it forever made me fantastically involved in the world of the department store. But uh, nevertheless, I'm going up the elevators, or rather the escalator. I'm a great escalator rider. I love to ride escalators. And uh, you know why they, why they put those little things on the side of the escalators, like little pieces of metal sticking up? You know that the, that's to prevent guys from jumping up and riding the railing that rubber railing down. did you know there was a period when guys would do that? Oh <laughs> well, sure, if there's anything possible, some klutz will do it i mean uh, and then it'll become a fad, and a thousand klutzers will do it, so uh, you know that's known as the herd instinct, so they had to put those little barriers up there so if a klutz tries to ride the uh, you know the rubber railing up and down, he's going to also uh, remove large pieces of skin from very sensitive places in his body. But uh, nevertheless, I'm riding the escalator up at Macy's, see? And I get up to the second floor there after my brief encounter with the guy on the down escalator. And uh, I'm in the middle of the big crowd, and I look across the the counter at a guy, a kid working behind the ribbon counter or some counter there where they had buttons or they were selling geranium seeds or some great thing like that. And he's got this look of total harassment. I know that look. I just looked at him across the counter and he looked at me. See, I looked like a customer, which meant, you know, 20 20 million marks, totally uh, undistinguished one from the other. But I looked at him and I said, Buddy, I've been there. He says, You really? I says, Oh boy. Well, I have never told. You about my fantastic experiences working for a big department store. Have you ever worked for a big department store? You mean you had to think that long to remember? That's like saying, if we ever paratrooper? And you'll think, mm, no. <laughs> Listen, you either worked there or you didn't. You're either pregnant or you ain't. There's no in between, buddy. And once you have worked in a big department store, you will always say, yeah. Well, you know, a department store, for those of you who have never worked in one, has a very intricate social structure. Uh, yes, and, and it has all kinds of intra-store rivalries, romances, hatreds. Uh, it's, it's a complete city in itself. It's a, in fact, it's a complete nation. It's even bigger than that it's a complete world in itself it's totally separate from the rest of the world and it has very distinct hierarchies and uh, within the entire world of the of the department store there are for example the elite you may work in an elite department you can then work also in the equivalent of the slums And it's right on your card. You can't kid anybody. You cannot pretend you're working in an elite department when you're actually working down in the pot handle repair department, which is, uh, you know, way down there in the nothing world. Well, my first experience in the department store world came when there was a bulletin board announcement when I was in my junior year in high school. And just before the Christmas vacation, I love and wishes their Christmas vacation to good use, see Miss Matson in the office. I don't know what made me do it. But, uh, you know, I just... Have you ever done something that, uh, that you just did it out of pure uh, impulse? Sometimes it works out great. Other times, well... <laughs> So I go down to see Miss Matson. I said, Miss Matson, I wish to put my Christmas vacation to good use. She says, Fill out this form. At which point I filled out the form, which uh, told where my address was, which told the phone number at home, which told uh, what hours uh, that phone will be manned by a sucker who is going to answer it, which uh, you know told what grade I am, whether I had working papers, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera, and I gave her the form. Well, about two and a half hours after I got home that night Christmas vacation was only hours old the phone rings and Mr. Moss was on the phone now I didn't was at that time I'm not talking about a local small town department store I'm talking about one that has uh, let's say it has more employees than magnificent Alexander's in the Bronx has customers in a week a fantastic place see and the phone that says, Hello, this is Mr. Moss, and uh, are you the uh, young man who filled out the form in high school today? I said, uh, Yeah. He said, uh, Well, would you uh, uh, be ready to go to work tomorrow morning at 7.30? I said, Yeah, yeah, where? I didn't even know where it was. He says, the word Marshall Field. I said, Marshall Field? He says, Yes, uh, Marshall Field. He said, uh, uh, My name is Moss, and uh, we like the looks of your application, and uh, if you'll be... So kind as to appear at uh, my office, the personnel office, at 7.30 tomorrow morning. You know, we open at 9. We'll be ready to put you to work at that time if uh, all things are uh, proper and in order. Yeah, okay. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, I am out. I'm getting my new sport coat on. I'm all excited. You know, Marshall Field, you know, you know this is, a, this is like getting a call from the Vatican. If you're a shopper, I mean, Marshall Field is the ultimate... And their Christmas is the ultimate. I don't know whether you know anything about Marshall Field's Christmas. It's out of this world. So about uh, an hour later, after an infinite bus ride, I am sitting outside of Mr. Moss's office with about 1,500 other kids, all sitting out there waiting nervously. And the door opens, and one after the other, we are called in. And the kids never came out. They would be called in the office, and they would disappear. And uh, I'm sitting there, you know, the crowd is getting smaller and smaller, and finally I'm called and I go in, and I'm talking now to a tall, thin lady with black-rimmed glasses. She says, uh, is this uh, your name here, uh, Sherp? And I said, no, it's Shepherd." She said, oh, well, uh, looks like Sherp here. Uh, uh, let me see, would you uh, stand up? And I stood up. She said, well, turn around, please. I turned around. She said, uh, sit down, please. I sat down. She says, uh, "Would you please say uh, thank you for me?" <laughs> uh, thank you. She said, "Would you say that again?" I said, uh, "But I sensed immediately that that's significant." Saying thank you, I said, <clears throat> "Oh, thank you." Oh, very good, very good. She said, uh, "All right, uh, here." She said, she takes a, a green slip and she writes something down on it. And she goes, she stamps it three times. She says, uh, take this up to the third floor, to the back, to customer service. And she hands me the green thing, and I go out the back. They had a door that went out the back, and it was a service elevator. From that time on, you never walked with the real people. Did you know that there's an entire network of passages that the workers in the department store live in? That's where it says, uh, employees only, you've seen those doors, well, behind those doors live the gnomes. and. and it's a different world. Uh, you know, there's uh, torn pieces of paper on the floor, and there's uh, people sitting in the corner crying and all kinds of things. So uh, in I go. And I, I'm now in that world. So I'm into this gray place, and I'm in a gray elevator, and there's a guy wearing a gray uniform who looks real mad. He says, What floor are you going to, buddy? I said, I'm third floor. He says, Oh, no. Th- oh, boy, you got it, buddy. And so up I go to the third floor. Well, I get I get off the elevator, and I asked him, I says, where's customer service? He said, well, go straight back there past the television department. He said, you go on past the appliances. He says, and just past that department down there where they got the curtain rods, you'll see a door marked customer service. Go in there. I said, thank you. He said, don't thank me, buddy. You'll live to regret it. At which point I went back through the crowd. And there's thousands of people. Get to the customer. But what? He... The door opens. And I go in. <laughs> Well, let me tell you what happened then, Fred. You have not heard... I mean, uh, you're listening to a guy who within, I would say, 48 hours became so immersed and involved in the life of the department store that I could not imagine myself at that point ever getting out of it. It's a very, very... It's like quicksand. Okay. (laughs) I shouldn't tell you this. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, listen! Every year when when Christmas time comes, you know what begins to. You know how? Uh, you, have you ever heard the uh, the stories about how old fire horses? Uh, when uh, when the fire bell rang, the fire horses would get all excited, even when they were retired. You know, they even say that uh, about the race horses. Even uh, you know a race horse is out of the racing business for twenty years, and you ring a bell, and he jumps and starts running around the pasture. Well. <laughs> My my uh, feeling is very similar to that. And uh, Christmas time comes, and two things happen to me. Both my thumbs... What's the matter, guys? You're all very concerned in there. Both my thumbs begin to ache. My thumbs. And I feel an occasional twinge in my index finger on my right hand. If you look carefully at my hands, you know, if, if, if Sherlock Holmes the real homes, were to take a look at my hands, he could instantly tell that I had spent some hellish Christmases working in a major department store. Well, I'll tell you why. I am not in the personnel department five minutes, and I'm up there on the third floor, when the lady who came out from behind a blue door marked private, I was waiting for her. She came out, she said, uh, I think you'll do. She said, uh, let me see your hands. And I showed her my hands. She says, all right, go down to the basement and ask for Mrs. Ringel. Spelled W-R-I-N-G-E-L. I I will always remember Mrs. Ringel. So she says, go down and ask for Mrs. Ringel. And uh, she's, she's all the way in the back. She says, where they have the decorations, you'll see them back there. So I go down to the basement now, and that's when my job began. Mrs. Ringel was in charge of gift wrapping. Now, does this mean anything to any of you? Does it mean anything to you, Will? It doesn't. Have you ever seen a gift wrap package? Did you know the people did that? <laughs> You're so serious today, Will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Will looked like I was asking him a question <laughs> that had to do with uh, psychological aberrations. But uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, I, here I was. I was a scientist, and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. You know, I maintained that skill to this day. I went through a course in Mrs. Ringel's department, three-day course in gift wrapping. Artistic gift wrapping. I'm talking about big-time gift wrapping. I'm not talking about somebody that just puts uh, your uh, bottle of perfume in a bag that has uh, holly leaves on it, a piece of tape on it. my gift wrap. I mean real gift wrap with the, with the silver foil papers, with the elegant ribbons, making rosettes. You know that I can make a rosette right now. It may surprise you, Andy. You've seen those big uh, yellow uh, gold rosettes, those big rosettes. Well, I can make a rosette in about 30 seconds flat to this day. Yeah, I can, I can really do it. Uh, I could take a canoe and gift wrap it. <laughs> I really can And you think I'm joking. Well, after after three days of working in the gift wrapping school, they have a school there. Uh, and and out, of the, out of the group of kids that, that started the gift-wrapping school, they started. We, we started with about, I would guess, roughly 25 kids they had back there in that room. There were only seven of us who actually finally graduated from the course. The others just simply couldn't cut it. Now, gift-wrapping is a very curious, I'm sorry, Andy, you may not know this, but gift-wrapping is a curious art form. And, and, and some people never can master it. No matter how much you teach them, they cannot uh, use their imagination. See, because when you're gift wrapping in a department store, you're going to get thousands of different items uh, ranging all the way from some. Believe it or not, people would actually bring in things like a, a potato masher to gift wrap. Uh, you'd get a uh, lawnmower, gift wrap it. Uh, you know, you think this is funny. You'd get things like, uh, you know, like a, like a three-and-a-half-foot-high lamp, gift wrap it. Uh, people buy all kinds of wild stuff for gifts, and and uh, and, and when we finally were were uh, selected, us seven guys, it was myself, uh, uh, one other male, and most of them were women. They were myself, yeah, because women have a have a have more, uh, I guess, finger dexterity or something. They can really, you know, they can really do this. And maybe it's because a lot of girls, when they're you know, when young kids, they they sew or they embroider or something, and they learn to use their hands. Well, after. Our uh, graduation, I'm put into the gift wrap department. And here were these veterans. I mean, there were ladies back there that have been gri- gift wrapping since Diamond Jim Brady came in and bought a golden tiara for Sarah Bernhardt. <laughs> and they gift ra- for unbelievable package wrappers. I mean, if you, if you want to see a skill, baby, I mean, they can, make, they can make packages that look like works of art. Do you know that there are gift wrappers that are world famous some people the the, the art of wrapping packages and gifts in uh, not so much in america but in other countries say for example germany it's a classic example and in france the art of wrapping a gift package is a recognized art form and they have even had shows of great packages beautifully designed with with great ideas in fact uh, recently i had an idea of gift wrapping, and I did. I wrapped a whole series of gifts for a friend of mine to show him what could be done with artistic gift wrapping. I wrapped a series of gifts for him in colored comics. In other words, you get yourself some colored comic paper. Just you know, buy buy a Sunday paper. You know, like the uh, the news or something. And you got a whole bunch of uh, colored comics. Use that for gift wrapping, and it comes out to be a beautifully wrapped gift if you do it well you know if you if you know and and you you can use contrasting strings and uh use the whole, in other words the whole comic motif is used well right, now that's an example of what i mean that can be done with gifts so here i am you know after about the first week or so i'm being graduated now after first wrapping little square packages to the real thing and uh, one of the great one of the great moments in my life is when when Miss Winkle, who was this uh, very, very uh, elegant lady who had started the gift wrapping department at uh, Marshall Field back in the days when uh, Marshall was just getting to know Mr. Field, uh, when she came back and she said, uh, uh, who wrapped this? Who wrapped this? And she had one of my packages. And I said, oh, God, I'm in trouble now. He said, who? who uh, which one of you did this? And I said, I did "Well, I want to tell you, this is a beautiful, beautiful example of the kind of work that we want to turn out here. This is magnificent." I said, "Gee, thanks." And you know, that was a real accolade. And for two weeks, I wrapped thousands every day. Wrapping your thumb gets to uh, gets to be uh, your thumb gets to be just kind of kind of you know down around the uh, lower knuckle there. It gets a little sore after a while. And uh, the thousands of pin pricks, Sherlock Holmes could take one look at uh, my two index fingers and said, "Either you're a professional model airplane builder, or you wrapped uh, gifts for Marshall Field." <laughs> Actually, the truth is that I did both. to Gene Shepard, humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.